this week on Hope for the Broken. The world is not impressed by mediocrity. The world is not impressed with our compromise. The world will be impressed when they see you living a life of Christ and having put off the old man and having put on the new man in Christ Jesus. That's what they're starving to see. And that's what Paul is addressing here in Ephesus. No, I don't want you to add Jesus to you. I want Jesus to be who you are. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Made New. We have a special guest speaker, Paul Newby, with part eight titled, A New Relationship. So we've been in the book of, of, of Ephesians for a while now. Brother Chris, uh, he's preached uh, several uh, different themes, a, 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 new, a new prayer, a new purpose, a new unity. Uh, well, today we're going to talk about a new relationship. So uh, we'll be spending some time in God's Word talking about that new relationship and what is that word relationship? Why is it important? So uh, God be our helper with that this morning. So we're going to talk about three things this morning. Number one, we're going to be talking about the character of the old man. The character of the old man. And then number two, we're going to be talking about the clothing of the new man. And then thirdly, we're going to be talking about the conduct of the new man. So those three things are what we're going to be addressing this morning in God's Word. So let me just give you a little bit of history um, about the city of Ephesus. Now, I know Pastor Chris has done this uh, several times, but uh, some of you, I just want to give you a recap on, on Ephesus. The, Ephesus is the actual city uh, from which the book of Ephesians is, is named after. It's, he's addressing the church at Ephesus, hence the Ephesians. So what was this city of Ephesus like? The city of Ephesus was like the city of cities back then. It was a thriving metropolis. It was a port city um, and it was located what would be modern day Turkey today. And it was a huge import export city, uh, a port there. And so where there is commerce, there's money and where there's money, that's where people are going to tend to be and build homes and so forth. So it was like I don't know, Dallas-Fort Worth, it was just, it was just the happening place, right? So it was a, a mega city. Now, when you compare the size and the, the busyness of all of Ephesus, it can be matched equally with the grandeur of its sin. Ephesus was not a, uh, it, it would make Las Vegas blush. It was a place where, where lewdness was and all sensualities, but we'll, but we'll get to that. One thing that is noticed uh, in Scripture about Ephesus, remember, y'all remember in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 19, when Paul was in, in Ephesus there? See, Paul went uh, twice to 
to, uh, to Ephesus. On his second missionary journey, he went there, and he was only there for a very short period of time. And then he went back on his third missionary journey, and Paul uh, stayed there for about two and a half years. So he stayed there for quite some time. And so during his third missionary journey, in Acts chapter 19, we read about the, the account where he was preaching there uh, in the big city of Ephesus, and, uh, and there was a riot that broke out. Okay, because of, of Paul's preaching. You know, when the word goes forth, the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's powerful. The word of God is powerful because Jesus became the word and the word dwelt among us. The temple of Diana, many of you have heard of the temple of Diana. It was located there in Ephesus. So what is the big deal about the temple of Diana? You see, Diana was one of the major Greek gods or goddesses that they worshipped. And when Paul went to Ephesus and he began to preach Christ, the people were very readily acceptable of this gospel of Christ. They began to just say, oh, okay, well, this is a new thing. We've heard of this God and that God, and we have a, a, a multitude of other gods, but we've never heard of this God. But no worries, we'll be very happy to add him to the long list of gods that we already worship. And Paul says, no, you don't understand. It's not about adding Christ to your theology. Jesus Christ is the theology. He is the only God that exists. And when he said that, the people realized that what he was doing is he was speaking against the great goddess of Diana, and that didn't work out well. There was, an, there was a riot that broke out, and you can read about it in, in Acts chapter 19 when you get home. The issue was, was called syncretism. Syncretism. Well, what is that word? I've never, I'm not familiar with that word syncretism. Syncretism is exactly what the, the people in Ephesus were doing by adding on to Jesus. They believed in Diana. They believed in, believed in a, a hundred different gods. And when you add Jesus to some other theology, that's called syncretism. They didn't have a problem with that. But when Paul says, no, it's only Jesus, that's when we have a problem. Syncretism. I want to I just encourage those of you who are here this morning, I want to encourage you to know this, that Jesus Christ is not an add-on. It's not a plug-and-play type thing. He's not just something that, that you, oh, well, I think I'll go to church and I'll, you know, I'll start doing this and that and, 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 and I will add him to. No, Christ is all. He's all. He's not something that we add on to. Okay. I want to read to you what um, uh, some of you may have heard of uh, this guy, uh, Antipater of Sidon. Uh, he was the guy that wrote about the seven wonders of the ancient world, and he lists the seven wonders of the ancient world. Did you know that the temple of Diana was one of those seven wonders of the, of the ancient world? Listen to what he says. He says, 
I have set eyes on the wall of lofty Babylon, on which is a road for chariots, and the statue of Zeus by the Alpheus, and the hanging gardens in the Colossus of the Sun, and the huge labor of the high pyramids, and the vast tomb of Mausolus. But when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost their brilliancy, and I said, Lo, apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on aught so grand as the temple of Artemis. And you're thinking, yeah, but hang on just a minute, Brother Paul. You were talking about the temple of Diana, and here you're talk they're talking about the temple of Artemis. Can I just tell you that they're the same thing? You see, Artemis is the Greek word for Diana. And Diana is a word that is in Latin. It is the same goddess. It's the same false god. So even in Acts chapter 19, when you read in the last part of chapter 19, you can read during that rite when the people rose up and they began to cry out, great is the goddess of Artemis. It actually says the name Artemis there, and it's talking about Diana. They said, don't touch our Diana. We still love her. We're going to worship her. Now listen, a new relationship. A new relationship means that there is a change of what you were doing, what you were connected to, to what you are connected to and doing now. There is a change. It's not an add-on. Let, let, let's see what the Bible says in, in John chapter 15. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, uh, or you can look on the, on the, behind me here. At John chapter 15, let's see what God's Word says here in John chapter 15 and verse number 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The word relationship, according to the dictionary, means this. It means the way in which two or more people or things are connected. Now, isn't that what we just read about in John chapter 15? John says, I'm the, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Did you know that y'all are the branches? Did you know that branches are expected to bear fruit? How many of you, raise your hand if you know what a tap root is. Anybody know what a tap root is? Yeah, some of you farmers in here know what a tap root is. What is a tap root? A tap root is the principal root that is attached to that growing, whether it's a vine or a tree, it is the principal root that goes down usually towards the center of that growth of, of the root network down there. But watch this. You can't see the taproot when you're looking at a tree from the surface. But that taproot is there, and that taproot is the life-giving source for that vine. The taproot is connected directly to the true vine, and then the branches are abiding in the true vine. Now, what happens, uh, you guys and girls that raise your hands, what happens when you cut the taproot? It dies because you cut off the life source. You have severed the life source of the sap. 
The sap that begins in the taproot flows up through the true vine, and then from that it flows to the branches, and from the branches we bear fruit. Jesus said, I am that true vine, you're the branches. Every branch that abideth in me bringeth forth much fruit. He says, without me, you can do nothing. If we cut the taproot, we have severed the flow, and that sap is the Holy Spirit. You have stopped the flow of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be connected. You know, the Bible talks about us being the wild olive tree that was grafted in. You see, the wild olive tree, we, we are Gentiles. Thank God we've been grafted in through, through the blood of Jesus Christ. That now it's not just the Jews that can be a part of God's kingdom, but it's all of us who are Gentiles as well. But you have to abide in that vine. You've got to be connected to Him. And when you are connected to Him, that's the very definition of relationship. Wow, I'm tempted to ask a question. How many of you are married? Well, I'll just go, raise your hand if you're married. Some of you are like, I don't know where he's going. All right. What kind of relationship would we have as married couples if we severed the connection between our spouse? Would that be a thriving, fruitful marriage if that happened? Of course it wouldn't. And it works the same way spiritually with our relationship in Jesus Christ. Number one, the character of the old man. Let's talk about number one, the character of the old man. You'll see this in verse 17, 18, and 19 of Ephesians chapter 4. Let's see what it says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Can I just emphasize that for just a minute? Paul says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity." This is what Paul is talking about when he addresses the character of the old man. Church, we have been called to live among the world. But we must not live like the world. Did you know that this world is hungry to see real Christianity? This hungry is this country is the world is starving to death to see something that is real, not an added on to syncretistic. Well, I'll just add Jesus to what I'm already doing. The world is starving to death to see sold out, washed in the blood, brothers and sisters in Christ who live a life of holiness, and that they have put off the old man. They're hungry to see that. So what is our responsibility? To live it and let them see that. I remember years ago uh, hearing about, uh, anybody, anybody here ever hear of the man uh, Mike Warnicky? You have to be like over 50 to have heard about Mike Warnicky. I see some of you gray-headed people that are raising your hand. Dennis raised his hand. I saw that. Um, 
Michael, Mike Warnicky, he, he was, he was a, a, a high wizard in the, in the church of Satan in California way back in the day. All right. He was like very high ranking in the church of Satan. And he became a wonderful, prolific, God-fearing man of God. And you say, well, how, what can do that? How can you go from being really elevated in the church of Satan in satanic worship and, and, and end up being like that, such a man of God? I'll tell you what he said in his testimony. He said, when I was involved in the church of Satan as a high wizard, in the hierarchy. He said, I have seen people talk about Jesus. I have seen people, I've heard people talk about the life change that happens in Christ. He said, but I never saw it. So I knew it was nothing to it. Until one day, a man that I knew to be a Satan worshiper got saved and when I saw his radical, immediate change, I said, there's got to be something to this. And that was what started my life quest to find out who this Jesus was. The world is not impressed by mediocrity. The world is not impressed with our compromise. The world will be impressed when they see you living a life of Christ and having put off the old man and having put on the new man in Christ Jesus. That's what they're starving to see. And that's what Paul is addressing here in Ephesus. No, I don't want you to add Jesus to you. I want Jesus to be who you are. And that's what Paul is addressing. Well, we have three options. You have these three options. I have these three options. Number one, we can accept Christ. Number two, we can reject Christ. Or number three, we can just add Christ to what we already have. The only one that is acceptable is the first one. You have to accept Christ. Ephesus, the sensuality that was mentioned uh, in, in the verse of Scripture here. Uh, if you use King James uh, Version, I believe the word there in King James is lasciviousness. And you say, well, I don't understand what that means. What is lasciviousness? And what, what exactly is, is Paul talking about in all sensuality and all lewdness? Let me read to you what Matthew Henry says, the great commentary Matthew Henry. He says that the Ephesians indulged themselves in their filthy lust and yielding themselves up to the dominion of these, they became the slaves and drudges of sin and the devil, working all uncleanness with greediness. They, they made it their common practice to commit all sorts of uncleanness and even the most unnatural and monstrous sins and that with insatiable desires. Observe, when men's consciences are once seared, there, there are no bounds to their sins. When they set their hearts upon the gratification of their lust, what can be expected but the most abominable sensuality and lewdness and that their horrid enormities will abound? Thus was the character of the Gentiles in Ephesus. So you see what Paul was up against. The character of the old man. 
Number two, the clothing of the new man. The clothing of the new man. We'll see this in verses uh, 20 through 24. Let's take a look in this. It says, and, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Can I just read that again? And I underlined in my Bible the word but here. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have learned about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self. Did you see that? To put off your old self. Which belongs to your former manner of life. You don't do what you used to do. There's been a change. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. All manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put, here it is, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Where we read there in verse 24 about putting on, that word, modern day English word, can be translated clothed. That's why I put it in my notes about clothing ourselves. In the new man. Because the Greek word in verse 24 about putting on, the verb to put on, is endul. The Greek word endul. And that word means not just to put something on if, as if there was a sports jacket on a hanger over here and, 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 I, and I'm putting on a sports coat, you know, and I'm, and I'm up here now, I'm walking around in a navy blue blazer and a sport coat on. It's, it's not that church. It's not about just putting that on. It's stronger than that. It's, it's, it's more powerful than just putting something on. It means to sink down into clothing, to put something on. And the illustration I give is like this. If we had a four-year-old girl in pigtails up here and she went back there and she came out with her mother's fur coat on, big way too big for her, puffy, hairy fur coat everywhere, and all you can barely see is her little pigtails walking around. What she did was she has sunk herself down into that fur coat. That's what enduo means, and that's what Paul is telling us to do here, is sink yourself down into the clothing of this new man. Well, who is this new man? It's Christ. People must see the fur coat, and not the pigtails. They must see Christ in you, Christ in me, and we must put that on and sink down into it and envelop ourselves in that new person of Jesus Christ. Don't you want people to see Christ in your church? Absolutely. It's our calling. It's our responsibility. That word but that I read here in verse 20, but, that is not the way you learn Christ. You know, the word but, uh, I'm not an English major. My sister, she's, she's working on her doctorate's degree in English. God bless her. The word but is a conjunction. And it is a conjunction word that brings contrast. And this is what Paul is doing here. He's contrasting between the conduct of the old man and putting on of the new man. There's a contrast. There must be a contrast in who we used to be and who we are now. 
You can't be half and half. Oh, I'm halfway. Uh, so, so do you live for God? Yeah, pretty much. What? You can't, you can't just halfway kind of sort of live for Jesus. He wants all of your heart or none of it. He wants 100%. I told this morning as I was preaching, I told them that, uh, that, that I'm, I'm a licensed paramedic. I st- I've been a licensed paramedic for 35 years. And, uh, and, and I've, I, I, that was my working career in times past. And did you know in all of my years of working in emergency medicine, I've never seen someone half dead and half alive? It's just not going to happen. It's like, okay, well, I don't have any carotid pulses, so... I, maybe maybe they're still alive. I don't know. I don't feel a pulse, but I guess maybe they're still alive. You're not going to see that. You're either dead or you're alive. What does Romans tell us in chapter 6 about being baptized in Christ? Turn to Romans chapter 6 and let's take a look and see what this says. Romans chapter 6. Let's look at verse number, where is it here? Verse number 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his what? What does your Bible say? Death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That is the very thing that baptism means. That's what baptism symbolizes. It symbolizes, hey, I'm a new believer in Christ Jesus now. See me go under the water? That means I am dead. I am buried with him. I'm not who I used to be. Now watch this. I'm being raised to a newness of life. You're either dead or alive. Don't be syncretistic in your faith. I want to tell you a story that happened in in Honduras. Um, In Honduras, that nation is extremely syncretistic. Um, They... They love to, if you ask anybody in Honduras, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, really? You see, what they do is they just add Christ onto their already existing life of sin and sensuality. I could ask Rebecca sitting here on the front. I could ask her, Rebecca, when you were in Honduras with us, did you ever see any of those big buses in La Ceiba driving around and, and, and they say, Jesus es mi rey. Jesus is my king. And right next to it, there's a Playboy bunny sticker. That's exactly what we're talking about. Syncretistic. And it's a huge problem in Honduras. And I recognized that early on. And so I wrote a book called The Road, of, the Road to Emmaus. And in the book, I address the big, huge problem of syncretism in Honduras. I have an English version. I have a Spanish version. And one day, Ana El, one of our pastors that we worked through uh, there in Honduras, he, he took the book, he was teaching the curriculum uh, in the mountains of Santa Barbara, and he was way up in the mountains teaching this, and he got to chapter number 12 where it talks about the blood. The power of the blood, of changing and transforming lives. It's only the blood 
of the sinless Lamb of God who took our place, the, the, the doctrine of substitution, where you should have been on the cross, I should have been on the cross, but he took our place on the cross, and he shed his blood, he paid the penalty for our sins. He was, pre- he was teaching this and preaching this, and a lady that was there in the congregation, she stood up, closed her Bible. She said, I've heard all of this I want to hear. This is all lies. I refuse to hear anything else about this. And she was infuriated. And Pastor Anael said, well, hang on just a second. Can we excuse everybody out of the church? And I would like just for the pastor and for this lady to remain because we need to have a little talk. And she sat there and she was just stewing, just, just angry. And Pastor Anna L. says, so I'm curious as to why you're reacting the way that you are. Or what is the problem? And she said, I, I, I can't stand to hear anything else about this blood stuff, about how there's power in the blood. So I'm going to uh, keep this uh, short. Okay, I'm going to do my best to let, not let, let you all out too late. She was a practicing witch who was on the worship team, leading song worship in their church. She was a practicing witch, but she couldn't stand it any longer when she heard about the power that is in the blood of the Lamb. You see, Satan doesn't like to hear that. Long story short, she accepted Christ that day in that meeting, teaching Emmaus. She accepted Christ. She said, we have to go to my house. They went down the dirt road to her house. They walked into her house, and her house was just, was just a, a, a mosaic of voodoo and magic and witchcraft and, and feathers and different things. And, and, and she said, we have to get all these out of my house. And they took all those articles and put them in the middle of the dirt road, and she burned them, set fire to them. And she pointed to it. She said, that is no longer in my life. That is regeneration. That is regeneration. That is not adding syncretism. That's making Christ Lord of all. And Paul says, this is what you got to put on right here. Add Christ in Christ alone. Number three is the conduct of the new man. The conduct of the new man. Did you know that the Bible has a lot to say about our conduct? But how we should behave ourselves? Sure it does. Did you know that your conduct matters? Absolutely it does. When we make a mistake, we get emotional or, or things happen in the home and we blow our cool. <laughs> what do you do about that? You make apologies. Listen. I was out of line. I'm, I'm better than that in Christ. And, and listen, that was my old nature. And I, God's still working on me. I'm not perfect yet, but, but God's still working on me. And, and I need to just let you know that that was wrong of me. And I need to ask you to forgive me for how I behaved. And people will respect that. They will respect you for that. Our conduct is paramount, very important. Paul talks about several things uh, in, in the, the, the verses of Scripture here. Verse 25 going through 32. He talks about speaking the truth. We, we, did you know that Christians are, shouldn't be lying? 
Christians shouldn't be lying. Did you know that the Holy Spirit knows what you put on your 1040? At the, around, I'm, just, I'm just saying, okay. Um, speak, speak the truth. He talks about anger. He talks about giving opportunity to the devil. Giving opportunity to the devil. You say, well, what is opportunity to the devil? I don't, I don't get that. You know, some people like to just ride the edge, like on this staircase right here. I'm just going to, I'm not down there. I, that's not me. I, I, I can't go down there because that's not what God expects of me. See, see how, see how close I am though, but I'm still good. I'm still in Jesus. And people walk that fine line. Why in the world do you want to do that? Get away from that. I've heard people say, well, you know, as long as I get to heaven, you know, whoo, it's hard down here. But one of these days, by God's grace, I'm going to, I'm going to get there. I'm just, I'm just going to make it. And that's all I want to do is I, as long as I get to heaven. And I say, what in the world are you talking about? I want to go in so full blast that I slide halfway to the throne room. Get away from the edge. He talks about our conduct, stealing the tongue, our mouth, grieving the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? It means that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and leading you and guiding you in a certain direction to be obedient to Him, and yet we resist that, and we are not obedient to that. Did you know that that happens I can probably say this very safely. That happens in every church service. When God is wanting to do something in your life, he's wanting to carry you to a higher level and the Holy Spirit is dealing with you and we just sit there like, well, it's all good and maybe next time. No, let God do what God wants to do now, today. Conduct matters. So, do you have this new relationship this morning? Are you connected to the true vine? Are you connected to that tap root? Does his Holy Spirit flow through you? Do you bear the evidence, the fruits of Christ in you? Forget, for, forget that old man. The conduct of the old man, that's in the past. Sink down in who Christ is. And let's live like Christ wants us to live. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word 
on Hope for the Broken 